The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. Notice the um, notice the, the the quiet in the room. This place of pause. It's like the pause at the end of the breath. You know, there's this like sort of. Can you hear it? You feel it? This little we're just here. We don't know quite what's gonna happen next. So we can just sort of relax into it, huh? you know. And feel if there's some tension, there's some movement. I hope she hurries up and says something meaningful. Y- you know. <laughs> that we can kind of feel that kind of push in the mind of what. But we could also just relax. Trust, we're safe, it's okay. It's okay. It's very much like that pause that I was pointing to at the end of the, uh, you know, at the end of the breath. There's this little moment where it just seems that there's nothing, it's empty. The um, title of the talk tonight is The Deepest Intention of the Heart. And I had quite a time um, well, I had quite a time producing this talk. Well, actually the problem was I had quite a time producing one talk. Um, I had multiple talks. And it was really uh, a challenge to um, discern what to speak about tonight. I had promised that we would uh, begin to explore chanting a little bit. There, Laura Good, who's an awesome teacher, you will love her. She's coming next week to um, to do some chanting with us and to teach us a little bit about chanting and. I'd promised to do a little bit this tonight, and I was sitting the other morning. I, I live in a really incredibly beautiful place. I live, you know, and I like to drink uh, my tea before I meditate in the morning, and it's early, and the sun is coming up, and the light is on the trees. It was just one of those mornings, you know, where everything is green, and the sun comes up, and it's golden, and the birds are singing, and the bushes are just bursting with their fragrance, and it's just the most amazing time. And I was sitting with my tea, just loving it so much. Contemplating, which I often do at that moment of the morning. Um, because I was very aware that the KKK rally was coming to town. And one of the thoughts I had is, how can I talk about chanting when, you know, there's this KKK rally? How does that work? And furthermore, 
I um, was away on holiday last week. I was at the beach with my family and my grandchildren and, and um, teenagers. Teenagers are awesome. They're just so much fun. Um, and uh, it was just awesome. And so I'm deciding, well, uh, do I come back? Do I leave my vacation two days early, you know, and, and, and come back? What, what do I do? And I could just feel the tension. It's like, you know, guys, I just want to sit here with my tea. You know, it's really nice. I just want to go to the beach. You know, have fun. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. You know, or at least I don't want to deal with it personally. But then there's the talk, you know, do I do a talk on chanting? Do I do a talk on something else? You know, what, what, do, what do I do? What does my spiritual practice have, have to say about all this? And I kind of couldn't escape it very well. And it struck me really clearly, it was lovely, I've taught about this so many times, but it struck, struck me that that, uh, that very dilemma was exactly the dilemma that Siddhartha had. You know, he had a pretty cushy life, you know. He had green trees and yellow sunlight and cups of tea and nice smells and, you know, and he, he was like, you know, life is pretty good here. It's, it's sort of good enough if you just sort of don't look at certain things. You know, but, the, but that's the deal, isn't it? You know, if you just sort of like try to like insulate, if I just try to insulate myself, a little bit. I could sort of do it. And that was sort of, that was very much his dilemma as he's uh, you know saying what what you know what do I do? Do I do I stay? Do I go? How do I you know how do I work with this? Um, and it's 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 not unique to him and it's not unique to me. We we each had that dilemma, didn't we? I mean, each of us unless we're sort of a little numb we each had to make some decisions last weekend, didn't we? Um, you know, what, what do I do? What do I do about this? Do I do anything? What do I do? Uh, so it really brings right into our, into our presence the, those, the, 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 the practical utility, if you will, of our spiritual practice. And to, and to some extent, the difficulties of our spiritual practice. Yeah. That we can't be asleep. If we're really practicing, we're really inquiring, we really, we really can't be asleep. And so we know the Buddha's decision, you know, that with a very stout and determined heart, he set out to um, look to see, how, basically, how do I be with this? You know, how do I be with this without just drowning in the suffering of the world? How do I be with the KKK without drowning in the suffering? How do I be with this? How do I be with this? And then he had the same dilemma when he um, was deciding whether or not to teach. You know, he, he then had the insight into 
what was the cause of suffering, how to be released from suffering. And then he said, he said this, he said that the Dhamma, the understanding that I have attained is deep, hard to see, hard to realize, peaceful. <laughs> it's really nice to hang out in this place, refined beyond the scope of conjecture, subtle to be experienced by the wise. He says, but if I were to try to teach and if others would not understand me, which of course they wouldn't because it is subtle and you have to experience it and it's hard and it means you have to set down your cup of tea and make a decision about whether or not to go to KKK rallies. Um, it's hard. He says, if, if others, you know, if I were to teach and if others would not understand me, he says, that would be tiresome for me. <laughs> troublesome for me, you know, so I think maybe I won't teach because I just don't want to be tired and troubled, you know. So it's just, you know, our dilemma is so much his dilemma. It's, it's just not personal. It's not, it's not special. Uh, it's not even special to the KKK, you know. It's, it's, um, it, it's, just a, it's just a universal dilemma. And then there's Bilbo Baggins. I love this quote. I had to fit it in somehow. He says um, in The Hobbit, he says, we are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. <laughs> I can't think what anybody sees in them. And we know that place, don't we? You know, make you late for dinner. I don't want to be late for dinner. You know, I don't want to have to deal with this. Um, and so we know the Buddha's decision, and we have the legacy of, of, uh, of those decisions, both in terms of the teachings themselves and of his willingness to offer them to us. You know, here's how to be with us, he says. But it's deep. It's hard to see. It's challenging. And it's what we practice as we encounter difficulties just when we're sitting on our cushion. We don't even have to get up and go downtown and march down the street. We, we, we find it just sitting you know, in daily life. We sit on our cushion and we go, this is not working out the way I want it to. You know? This is not how it's supposed to be. And so the practice really invites us to inquire into these moments when we're on our cushion and when we're off our cushion. Remember the title of my talk is The Deepest Intention of the Heart. And what drove the Buddha to both practice and, and study and then to teach was the deepest intention of his heart. Really looking to see you know, what's that deepest intention? It's not so different, really, though, making these decisions. You know, what do I do? Do I leave the beach? Do I come home? Do I, you know, what do I do? Um, we, we have these kinds of decisions every day. Years ago, some years ago, there was a commercial on TV, which for some reason I just remembered. And it was um, this guy, he comes up to the... Um, cashier at the grocery store. And she says, paper or plastic? 
and he kind of freezes and he goes, paper, plastic, paper, trees, paper, plastic, oil. And so you can see, he goes through this incredible dilemma, paper or plastic, paper or plastic, paper or plastic, and everybody in the line is waiting and the, 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 you know, the, the clerk is waiting as he's struggling with paper or plastic. Um, and the punchline of the commercial is some decisions are easy. I forget what the commercial, what, the, what it was a commercial for, but it was like, you know, buy our product. That's an easy decision, you know. And the, but so the punchline is some decisions are easy. And, you know, it struck me that, well, maybe some decisions are easy, but maybe not, you know. Maybe each decision, every decision that we make, whether I move from my tea to actually meditating in the morning, you know, that, you know, decisions require us to really bring attention to the deepest intentions of our hearts. What matters to me here? What is wholesome? Where is suffering? Where is the end of suffering? For me internally and for me in my life in the world. You know, what is wholesome here? And those are not easy decisions. Often we just don't know. Um, the Buddha says, he says, don't go by reports in order to make these decisions. He says, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logic, by inference, by analogies, by agreement with other people, by probability, or by the thought this guy is our teacher. He says, don't go by any of those things in making your decision. You go, well, what do I make in my decision on that? But I don't go with any of those. He says, when you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and to happiness, my own and others. He says, then and only then should you enter and remain in them. Well, okay. But still, really? I don't go by scripture, by logic, by inference, by analogies, by agreement with other people, by probability, by the thought. This is what my teacher says. You mean I have to kind of sit with this and make this decision myself? Where is suffering? Where is the end of suffering? What is wholesome? What is skillful? What isn't? Uh -huh. This is hard. I thought I came to meditation practice because it was going to make me stress-free, you know? It was going to be like serene, you know? I was going to just come and it was just, it was just all going to be serene. I could kind of go to my, um, well, it wasn't all serene, my family vacation at the beach and just sort of rise above it all, you know? That's what I thought meditation was going to do for me. You know what it does? It brings me right into it. And it says, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no, no particular, there, there's no universal answer to it. So there I was wondering, well, what does this mean for me? Uh, about A, the, you know, the KKK rally and whether or not I come back to Charlottesville two days early and what my talk is on Tuesday night. How, how, do, I, how do I do this? How do I do this? Um, 
And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about the KKK really, I was thinking about, you know, the teaching on hatred never ceases by hatred. Okay, that sounds good. But for me, Saturday afternoon, what does that look like? You know? Really, what does it look like? For me, different from everybody else, what does it mean? And we all know this place. And where to look becomes crucial. If we can't be guided by some kind of concept or, 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 or if we can't ultimately be guided, we can be guided, but if we can't ultimately be guided you know, by these concepts, where to look becomes crucial. In this teaching, the Buddha is inviting us not to look to our own views and opinions. You know how you know I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, what's a good, you know, what what's a, you know, logically, what should I do? You try to figure it out. You know that place where you try to figure out the answer. You have a difficult decision to make, and you kind of ruminate about it. He's saying, he's saying, don't do it that way. Uh, it's not going to help you. Um, so we really have to bring our awareness in a couple of ways to the deepest intentions of our own hearts. Where to look is crucial. We look to the deepest intentions of our own hearts. Um, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? We ask that question in matters large and small, more or less difficult, and in doing that, we often begin with confusion. I don't know. Somebody tell me. Then I can fight them. You know, I don't know. And that we often think that confusion is a problem. You know, we've got to solve this confusion thing. We've got to fix it. We've got to figure it out. And I'm going to propose to you that the confusion is the doorway. The challenge really is to allow ourselves to be with confusion. It's like allowing ourselves to be in that space before the talk starts. It's allowing ourselves to be in that space at the end of the breath that space where it seems to be empty. Because that is the doorway to the mystery and the magic and the grace, if you will, that is healing and alive. So the confusion, the not knowing, is a holy place. And we tend to see it as either a problem or a mistake, or we see it as um, something to be fixed, solved, hurried through. You know, when I asked you at the beginning, we can kind of feel that push forward. Anyway, you know, that's what the Buddha means when he talks about being born again. 
I mean, there's also a, another thing about having multiple lives. But most of the time when he's talking about being born again, he's talking about that push. That place where when I pause, you can watch your own mind and sometimes even our bodies kind of, can you feel that? You, where we lean a little bit forward, waiting for what's next. And it's hard to just be present. Not knowing what's going to come next. And that is a magic doorway. Now, our conceptual minds certainly don't think so. But it is. And we've actually all had the experience of that in multiple ways. And again, even when we have the experience, sometimes we kind of overlook it because we move through it so quickly. This is a Korean master. He says, all things are teaching you at every moment. So throw away all opinions, all likes and dislikes, and, keep, and only keep the mind that doesn't know. This is very important. You become empty mind. This is before thinking. Your before thinking mind my before-thinking mind, all people's before-thinking minds are the same. This is your substance, your substance, my substance, and the substance of the whole universe. This is where it all becomes one. That place where, you know, um, Suzuki Roshi talks about beginner's mind, empty mind. that place of cultivating the capacity, whether we're on our cushion or I'm sitting drinking my tea, wondering about a KKK rally, uh, don't know. I don't know. And really allowing ourselves to rest and indeed even delight in that place. Not because we're going to die there. Not because it's like, okay, fine, I don't know, so I can just, you know, Tra-la, tra-la, but is a way of just looking, waiting to see what wants to emerge for me here now in that place. Because a misunderstanding of don't know mind is like, okay, fine, I don't have to think about it. Eh, whatever. And that's not what he's talking about. There's a story that I know you probably have heard before with Mother mm -hmm. Teresa. Dan Rather was interviewing her. Um, and he said, um, when you pray, um, what do you say to God? And she said, uh, I don't say anything. I just listen. And he said, well, then what does God say? And she said, uh, he doesn't say anything either. He just listens. And then Dan was like, uh, what do I say now? <laughs> and she kind of smiled and she said, uh, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. I can't explain it in words. 
We just listen. It's a sacred space, that place of confusion and not knowing. This is Ken Wilber. He says, essentially, what one is awakening from is the ceaseless, chaotic, incoherent thoughts and ways of framing reality that govern most human activity, generating endless states of suffering. And what one is awakening to is a pure, transparent, open, empty, clear awareness, free of incoherent and broken thoughts and frameworks. So the invitation in difficulty, whether we're sitting on our cushion or you know, living into the reality of social justice, the invitation is one of curiosity and a willingness to listen, to see what is the deepest intention of my heart? What do the teachings mean? How do they land for me here now? And there's no right answer. Because we could even take that notion of the deepest intention of the heart and go, well, then, of course, the right answer is, you know, whatever. There's no right answer. The only right answer is one that leads to the end of suffering for myself and others. whatever that means. So we, um, we cultivate the capacity to listen. Listening that's a very awake and alive, it's not collapsed into passivity, but it's also not leaning forward into grasping and action. Which brings me to chanting. <laughs> It really does. It's so wonderful. You know, when we really kind of dig into Buddhist practice, everything is a hologram for everything else. Because chanting is about learning to rest in that doorway. The words mean something. It's true. But it's not about engaging our conceptual minds to try to figure something out or make ourselves some particular way or make somebody else some particular way. Laura's going to talk about the meta chant next week. You know, it's like we're going to make everybody be loving. It's not, that's not what it's about, really. It's about resting in the doorway Letting the language, letting the words, letting the, the, the quality of the sound touch into the deepest intention of my heart and the deepest intention of the teachings. So it's a different kind of practice than you know, reading, reading a book or um, trying to figure something out really letting ourselves be moved, letting ourselves be touched. The chant that I was um, playing as we came back together is the um, 
really kind of the, um, I guess if there were only one chant in the world, it would be that one. In the, you know, it's Om Mane Mane Peme Hung. Uh, it's pronounced a little differently depending on whether it's Sanskrit or, or uh, uh, Pali or Tibetan. Um, but it, I, I've always puzzled about it. It's like it, what it means is something, something, something like the jewel is in the heart of the lotus. Huh? You know what? And th fundamentally, I think what it means, first of all, it's said that each of the syllables kind of contains an aspect of the teaching so that the, the syllables altogether basically contain all of the dharma. But that what it, what it means is that, is, as I, I think what I'm saying, is that you know, the jewel, it, it's, it's not in the confusion. It's not in the thinking mind. You know, it's in the heart, it's in the heart of the lotus. It's in, you know, the lotus, they talk about the lotus growing through the mud and blossoming above the mud. That, that it, it, it's, it's not about getting distracted by all that stuff, but learning to cultivate the capacity to rest in the heart, my heart, your heart, the teachings, the heart of the teachings, what speaks to me here now, um, you know, what's the heart of my life with my grandchildren, um, what are my own resources here, what's, what's the heart of my compassion for my own resources, my own capacity, you know. So that the, the, the chant really is, is reminding us to rest in that doorway. Uh, again, not as a place to kind of fall asleep and die, but as a place of opening and being awake to what wants to manifest next. What's the grace that wants to manifest? And then we're, we're shocked when it comes. It's like, where did that come from? Well, it didn't come from me. There's something that's bigger, stronger, wiser, more kind, more holy, more filled with grace than my own ego we can open and receive it. So chanting is a main line, huh, I think, into resting in the deepest intention of our hearts. I'm gonna, I'll read you something and then we'll end and I'll, I'll, I'll play it a little bit more and then we'll end. Um, This is a, a couple quotes. This is from uh, one of my teachers, Kitasaro um, and Tanisaro. The, there's a married couple. In chanting, we offer the situation into a unified field of listening that doesn't split the universe into separate pieces, but holds it all, holds everything. 
holds everything. It includes loved ones as well as enemies, our hopes as well as our fears, our deepest pains and our greatest challenges. By listening in a prayerful, humble, and open way, we are guided by the undivided heart. It is from such a heart that optimum solutions and intuitive insights can arise in support of the greater welfare of the whole. So our path is a path of refuge, but it's not a refuge in our ordinary ways of thinking. You know? It's a refuge of letting go and learning to cultivate that, that trust, um, that there's something wiser and, and stronger than my ego. This is Rumi. He says, keep walking though, those no, though there's no place to get to. Don't try to see through the distances. That's not for human beings. Move within, but don't move the way fear makes you move. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you, don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Let's see if I can get this again. Try to understand it. See if you can simply allow it to touch your heart. I once did this chant for three hours straight. They do it for 24. So blessings. We'll leave it playing while we leave. Thank you.